The reading for tonight is from 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 29. Now it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat, and let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house for Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. And she took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. She took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have everyone go out for me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. When she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not listen to her. Since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. When Amnon hated her, then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred. For the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go away. But she said to him, No, because this is wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. Yet he would not listen to her. Then he called his young man who attended him and said, Now throw this woman out of my presence and lock the door behind her. Now she had on a long-sleeved garment, for in this manner the virgin daughters of the king dressed themselves in robes. Then his attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her long-sleeved garment which was on her, and she put her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now when King David heard of all these matters, he was very angry. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon, either good or bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Now it came about after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal-Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. 
Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, now your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go, for we will be burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Absalom commanded his servants, saying, See now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not fear. Have not I myself commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. The servants of Absalom did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. The word of the Lord. Summer church bus rides can be long and hot. And so my church kids pass the time by singing along to whatever song is on the radio. But inevitably, after 20 minutes or so, the singing is interrupted by a long stretch of commercials. So during the commercial breaks, I ask them trivia questions over the loudspeaker. Like I might say, list three mountain ranges in North America. Or if I'm feeling generous, I might say, List six people Taylor Swift has broken up with. So this week, as we were driving back from a long day at Valley Fair, I asked a group of 15-year-old girls to give me three adjectives to describe ex-president Bill Clinton. Old was the first response. That one came pretty quick. Then rich. Hillary Clinton's husband. And then after a long pause, someone shouted out, needy. Needy, I said? What do you mean by needy? She shouted back, he always wants people's money, and he's kind of angry about it. Okay, fair enough, I said. That's part of the job of youth pastor is perpetually encouraging. I had assumed that she had heard it from her father, or overheard someone say it at least. Anything else, I asked? I couldn't believe that they didn't even mention his affair with Monica Lewinsky. I was in high school when Bill Clinton was asked if he had ever had sexual relations with that woman. I remember his overly technical lawyer jargon coming out as, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. And then I heard that line paraded through the media alongside, of image, alongside images of Monica's blue dress for the next month. And yet somehow 15 years later, this chapter in Bill Clinton's life was overlooked by these teenage girls. To them, Bill Clinton is just the old, rich, needy husband of the now more famous Hillary Clinton. And they're not alone. Between his work with the Clinton Foundation and his supportive role as husband to the Secretary of State, his approval ratings hang around 70%. And a few days ago, I was talking to my mom about what the girls had said. How could they not know about that poor Lewinsky girl, she said, in her what-is-the-world-coming-to voice. Wait, now, these girls are 15 years younger than you? 
but they're in high school and no one told them about Monica Lewinsky? Yeah, but mom, these girls were like four when it happened. Well, figures. You know all those creeps are coming back now. Anthony Weiner, Elliot Spitzer, the guy who had a girlfriend in South America. I would never vote for one of those dirtbags, she said, disgusted that these perverts even had the gall to show their faces in public. I recently read a 30-year longitudinal study tracking predictive factors in sexual violence. It said someone was much more likely to commit acts of sexual violence if they grew up in families where their parents routinely broke the law, defied social standards, or permitted the use of violence. The second major indicator was seeing those behaviors in the lives of their peers. As if Anthony Weiner and Elliot Spitzer were looking at Bill Clinton's current popularity and thinking, well, if Slick Willie can do it, so can I. And while some will argue that Bill Clinton didn't rape Monica, to me, sexual violence is ultimately about power over others. Whether it's a teenage boyfriend or the President of the United States, sexual violence is about abusing your power to take what you want. And in the history of Israel, if there's one person who has power over others in spades, it's King David. Two decades after the rape of Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah, David is still on the throne, still sitting in Jerusalem. David never spent a day in prison, and from the looks of it, there wasn't even any meaningful political blowback. But as God told Moses years ago, curses have a way of sticking around with you to the third and fourth generation. And David's children seem to have grown up in the lap of luxury. Spoiled brats who inherited a kingdom that their father risked his life for. They grew up running around the throne room, Bathsheba sitting next to David as he held court, deciding the fate of criminals and the distribution of land. And like most children, they pick up on the privileges of power at a rather young age, having learned that when you're the king, you make the rules. And when you make the rules, you get what you want, when you want it. Surely in their teenage years, David's children must have heard the story of how their father met Queen Bathsheba. The other Israelites' kids acting it out on the playground, all the boys vying for the part of David, the way I used to want to be Michael Jordan on the basketball court in my neighborhood. Now two decades later, David's firstborn son Amnon has his sights on his own Bathsheba. But he didn't see her bathing on the roof from across town. No, Amnon watched the object of his affection grow up inside the palace, sneaking glances at her at the family dinner table and waiting around the bathroom late at night. Amnon is sick with greed for his half-sister Tamar. And Amnon can't even enjoy the cushy palace life, horse rides in the morning, extravagant meals for lunch, dances in the evening. Life has lost its color for the spoiled Amnon. And as Amnon lies in his bed, he must have thought about the consequences. How would his father David respond if his only firstborn son raped his daughter Tamar? And then I imagine Amnon thought of Queen Bathsheba sitting on the throne next to his father David. So one afternoon, Amnon feigns sickness 
and sent a messenger to his father asking him to send Tamar to come cook for him. And a few hours later, Tamar arrived at Amnon's house in her long white dress, the same dress all virgin daughters of the king wear until their wedding day. And as she entered Amnon's kitchen with a basket of flour, Amnon, her brother, sent away his servants. And, and Tamar began baking a meal for her brother, alone in the house, as she faithfully prepared the meal that her father and brother had ordered. And Amnon watched from his bedroom the way hunters on safari watch lions through the tall grass, appreciating the big cat's living power before mounting its head on their wall. Maybe she sensed Amnon's stairs and decided to place the cakes near the foot of the bed. Feed it to me, Amnon orders. Now she knows. And as Tamar reaches out to feed her brother Amnon, he grabs her by the wrist and pulls her close. Lie with me, he whispers. She only begs Amnon for patience. She knew all too well that the men in her family get whatever they want. Please, I beg you, brother, ask David for my hand in marriage. David will not refuse your request, but don't do this. I will never be able to show my face in public, and you will be a dog in Israel, she pleads. But he would not listen. And after Amnon had his way with Tamar, he became disgusted by her and sent Tamar away. And as she walked home that night, she tore her virgin robes and ran to her brother Absalom. And as she recounts the story to her zealous brother Absalom, he flew into a rage and ran to their father David. And David, still sitting on the throne, held his head in his hands as Tamar recounted the story. What will his punishment be? Absalom cries out. But David said nothing. Perhaps he blamed himself, like father, like son. Perhaps he feared punishing Amnon would have reminded others of his own past failures. Whatever his reasons, David refuses to punish his firstborn son, Amnon. So Absalom took his sister Tamar home and plotted his own revenge. And months later, at a family reunion, Absalom orders his servants to stab Amnon to death in front of all of his brothers and sisters, like father, like son, to the third and fourth generation. I've been thinking about my youth group teenagers, how they saw Bill Clinton, just a rich, old, needy man, no mention of his philandering, his lying, his abuse of power. I wonder how these girls will feel when they find out that Bill Clinton, one of the world's most popular politicians, had his way with a White House intern. That to me is the real cost of tolerating sexual violence, of allowing them to repent without giving up power. Are we sending a clear message to young men and women that boys will be boys? Are we emboldening the abnoms of the world by allowing our leaders to exert their power over women without meaningful and lasting consequences? Powerful men who pay females less than their male coworkers, who make comments about the girls in the water, at the water cooler, who pick up prostitutes on the corner, who take what they want without any fear of repercussion. But then again, it's easy to talk about unpunished abuses of power, rant about justice and punishment when I'm talking about someone else. But spend a week with me and you'll find me a lot more understanding of my own abuses of power. 
I've got a laundry list of explanations for all the complexities of first world problems. When I plow through a box of strawberries picked by migrant workers paid cents on the hour, I've got a handful of excuses about my budget or the economy. And when the police officer pulls me over for speeding and lets me off with a warning, you won't hear me asking, um, pardon me officer, just a quick question before I pull away. Do you think you would have let me off if I was a black man? No, pulled over on the side of the road, thankful that I dodged a $200 fine. I'm more than happy to let my privilege and power do the talking. And despite my abuses of power, my many cowardices, Jesus saves a seat for me every week at the family table.